But today, I've got the thrill of interviewing Jean. In a moment, uh, I'll ask her a few questions, and then she will share from us. And the point of this is, A, so that you get to know some different people in the church, but also, B, Jean's got a story of faithfulness to Jesus through a lot that I think will inspire and equip us. And as always, I want to encourage you, if you want to get some time in with Jean, say, Jean, can we have a coffee, and can we just hear about your love or about, or for Jesus or your story? So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we do glorify you. Today is all about you, and um, this isn't just an interview. This is a testimony declaring the faithfulness and the goodness of God through many seasons of life. And so I pray you'd help us in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you can speak to us, even in these moments, directly into our lives, bringing strength and encouragement and helping us grow. So bless Jean. She shares her story. Bless us that we would have soft hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jean, thank you so much for um, being up for this. Really appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, very good. And you might just need to hold that a little bit closer. It's on. Okay. Um, that's it's fine. good to be here this yeah. morning. Great. So just first off, Jean, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the start of your, your life. What were you born into? What was the context, faith, but also just generally? How did life start for you? Okay, now I'm going to shock you all because I was born in 1936, before the Second World War. <laughs> a lot of you weren't born that early. Um, I had a very traumatic childhood, um, and I have to share a little bit why before I go on. My father was a professional golfer, uh, come greenkeeper, and my mother was working in a hotel. Um, she was engaged to another man, but an incident happened in the hotel which actually created a situation where my mother got pregnant, and five and a half months into the pregnancy, she married my father. It was a very unhappy marriage. My father felt his future was ruined. He wouldn't be able to do what he wanted to do in his golfing career, because now he has a family and so forth, and there was a war coming up. So our, our, my childhood was pretty traumatic in the sense that there wasn't, it wasn't a loving home. In fact, it was a very violent home. Many times it was a violent home. It was a very sad home, filled with bitterness and lots of ugly things. But there were some wonderful moments as well, because we lived in the countryside, so I got to enjoy sometimes nature. I love nature, and I would wander off into the woods and into the meadows and often wonder what was out there, who was out there. It was like a private place for me, a secret place that I used to go to, to have some time alone. My childhood was spent mostly helping my mother alongside her in the golf club, either cleaning, washing dishes, baking, serving golfers, and so forth, while my two siblings went out to play together. And that's how it went until I was 15 years old. Was all this still here in the UK? That was in Britain, in Derbyshire. So I lived during the war in Derbyshire. We moved seven times in England before I got to 15. So I went to many schools. And I don't think uh, 
My dad knew whether I ever went to school or didn't. Uh, they never were interested in anything like that. And uh, we saw lots of, I saw lots of um, sad things happen, particularly with my poor mom and, um, and ourselves. My dad was very, he was a gambler. He would gamble on anything from horses, dogs, or a raindrop coming down the window. It really didn't matter, but he was a gambler. So that was my... W were they a family of faith? Were they believers? No. We, we were totally without God, had no understanding of God at all. The only thing, uh, time I heard the name of Jesus was when it came out of my father's mouth in anger. Um, I didn't know God. Uh, I kind of questioned in my little mind if there was something, but I didn't know. I had no understanding. I never went to Sunday school. I never went to church, uh, and that's how it was. And you said you had two siblings? I had two, two siblings. siblings. So um, I think quite clearly a very uh, broken and painful yeah, very broken. Um, start to life. And you said that was until you were 15, mm. and then how did life unfold in the years just after that? Yes. Well, what happened after that, when, we got, when I got to 15, um, I was hoping to go to art college, but my father said no. Um, I had to help my mom in the golf club. But something amazing happened. My dad actually got a job in then northern Rhodesia, which is now Zambia. And he was asked to design a golf course and become the golf professional there. And so he went out to Africa, and three months later, we followed as a family. And that changed a lot of things for us, for the better. Because suddenly, I wasn't, didn't have to be involved in the catering and the golf club anymore. And my mom then started to play golf and golf was everything in our family. It was the beginning and the end of every conversation. My father and mother lived golf, ate golf, slept golf, and everything revolved around the golf. And what was relationship with mum like? You obviously helped her a lot in relationship yes. with siblings. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with my mom, unfortunately. Um, because of what had happened, I think, right in the very beginning, um, she didn't want to be married. Certainly not. She was already engaged to someone else before. So actually, her, her, her relationship with me was always very accusing, always feeling we'd done bad things, and she wasn't a very caring, loving mother. I never once heard my parents ever say, not even once, I love you. I never once had them read me a story at night. Uh, we kind of just fitted in around the golf. So whatever was going on, uh, we kind of made our way to bed on our own. We got ourselves dressed for school on our own and um, we just fitted in. And then, of course, the Africa trip came, and that changed a lot of things. I think, obviously, before we go any further, firstly, thank you um, kind of being so open and vulnerable with us. But it's very easy, I think, particularly in the UK, um, because many families are Christian, whatever that might mean, that we presume when we see someone fervently following and loving Jesus, that is because they had that from their very first days mm. and they've grown up with an easy life, which clearly isn't the story. Now, thank God, mm. that's not the end of the no. story. Um, and so with that, 
turbulent start to life. How did how did the the faith aspect come in to well you and all your family? Okay, so um, I always wondered, uh, but we went. I went to Zambia and um, still wasn't going to church. Um, I was still very young. I was fifteen. Most of the girls in Zambia at my age were still at school doing my trick. But my father said I had to go get a job and uh, put me out the door and off I went and got a job um, in Mr. Papadopoulos's coffee bar. Um, I knew how Say to... Say that again? Mr. Papadopoulos's coffee bar. I knew how to make Turkish coffee very well and I watched the uh, uh, Greek people playing backgammon and all sorts of games in the cafe, but it wasn't a very good job. But I had no other experience than other, what other than I'd had in the golf club. I had no experience of life, really. We never really went very far. We just were in this situation. But I thought about God quite a bit. Um, then I met my husband. I, I found another job, and I worked in the same office as my husband. How to old be. were you at this stage? How old? Yeah, at this stage. I was 18. 18. So at 18 years old, I got married. <laughs> and um, I ended up with... Uh, three beautiful girls. Two of them are sitting here this morning. And when, when I had my firstborn, Jenny, I started to think about God. I didn't know anything, but I kind of uh, thought about it a bit. And um, I went to the Anglican Church, and I, I took catechism, and I became confirmed. See? Hmm? Okay. I, I became confirmed in the Anglican Church but I didn't really know what that was about. I had no understanding whatsoever what redemption meant. How, but how, how did the connection with the Anglican Church start? Well, I just went along you because just I just had along. this feeling, I you know, I've got a family and, I, you know, lots of my friends were churchgoers and so I went along. But I had no, no understanding. I used to go for communion and wait for God to zap me because I knew that I was a bad girl. I didn't have the forgiveness. I'd never experienced forgiveness in any way, either from parents or from, certainly not from the Lord, because I didn't know him. Well, so you were hearing this yeah. in church, I'm guessing, but nothing had kind of gripped your heart at the stage no. or made sense, but you, you felt you had to do something now that you yeah. had um, your family yeah. with you. Going on to the, to the next step, how did that move to, clearly at some point, you met Jesus. Yes, I did. Experienced and forgiveness. Yes. So you got married, had beautiful children, yeah. started going to the Anglican church, had some mental understanding yes. maybe. H how did it move on from there? Well, what were you in Zambia at this point? Yes, I was in Zambia. We were still in Zambia. And in 1963, my husband decided to study. So he decided to go to England to study. He was an accountant, and uh, so we just packed up and just got on the plane, and we went to England, and he became articled, and uh, we started a life in England. And my, my husband hated being in England. He didn't like it. He was very unhappy. He, was he, he made it very clear he, wa he wasn't very happy. And uh, during this time... Uh, we all had to be very quiet in the house and we weren't allowed to have a television on or anything when he was studying. So, And I used to do a lot of singing, it might sense, but I, I did. I had quite a s strong classical voice and I did a lot of shows and what things. What did you sing? 
oh, all the show you. songs, okay. all all the you know South Pacific and all these. Was shows. that your favourite? No, I think Sound of Music was my favourite, okay. but uh, when it came out, but um, yeah. So I sang all these kind of show songs, and um, he said to me when we got to England, "Well, go, go and get some singing lessons. It'll get you out the house," which I did. Right. So. <laughs> So uh, the man said to me, "You don't need singing lessons, my dear, but I can get you some. Uh, I can get you some gigs." He said, and I wasn't sure what a gig was really. <laughs> so you, you were about thirty at this stage. Pardon? You're about thirty at this. Oh stage? yes, I was before thirty, about twenty-eight, twenty-nine. 29. And um, so I started singing in nightclubs and clubs. I wasn't a pop singer, but I got by. I was a kind of what they call in the industry a throwaway act. Have you heard of a throwaway act? That's the one who comes before the star, you know, and uh, they shove you on to get the audience warmed up before the star comes along. So um, that had a big effect on my life. I thought I was going to be famous. I really did. <laughs> and my marriage suffered, and ultimately my husband decided to go and go back to Africa, but this time to South Africa. And I decided, well, I'm going to stay in England and I'm going to become a star and all this. But ultimately, we went out together. Our marriage was really rocky, fragile. I had these beautiful girls and uh, we got on a plane in, in uh, Heathrow. My husband took out his South African citizenship in London that day we flew out. And we got on a plane together, all five of us, in such a broken mess, such a broken family. And we all looked okay to the rest of the world, but we were really in, in a mess, a big mess. And we arrived in South Africa, and ultimately, uh, he couldn't get a job, which was very difficult. But ultimately, uh, I had a sister who was already in South Africa and she lived in a small mining town and they were Christians. And I knew that because she'd written to me and told me I, I was going to hell because I wasn't a Christian. Which uh, in brief, um, do you know how your sister got saved? Obviously growing up in the same Yes, I don't know except okay. that she was in Stilfontaine wow. in this little town and um, we went to stay with her for the weekend when my husband was offered a job in that, on that mine as an accountant. And uh, we didn't want to go, but we more or less used them for the accommodation while he had the interview. And I walked into my sister's house. And for the first time in my life, I had an overwhelming sense of something. And I cr started to cry. And my sister said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, but there's a very beautiful feeling in your home. I didn't know it was the presence of God, but they did. And I knew that ultimately, because we took the, my husband took the job, they would ask me to church. And so off I went with them to church. And I got very offended because in the beginning, just like it is here, Everybody came in and was chatting and having lots of hellos and how are you? And I thought it was most disrespectful. And uh, I didn't like the idea. So anyway, we sat at the back of the church and that night 
I heard the gospel preached from Isaiah 118. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they will be white as snow. But the first phrase is the one that touched me. Come, says the Lord, let us reason together. God wanted to reason with me. He wanted to talk to me. And so I grabbed it with everything I had. If they'd have asked me to crawl around the town on my knees for two days, I would have done it. I was so excited. So, so this is obviously way... So you, you were in the Anglican Church and you had been yes. confirmed. So I'm now in, in this full gospel church. So, but, but this is clearly way more than just... It just made sense. This is clearly a, a total, an encountering yes, of Jesus a, and a sense of invitation and yeah. forgiveness to you. A totally radical conversion. And then I found out a story. In the January, when we were still in England and things were really difficult and we were thinking about splitting up and all sorts of things, that church... For a new to start the new year, had a week of prayer 24-7. Somebody was in the church every hour of that week praying for unsaved family. And Colin and I were on that list. And God took us on that plane, all broken and fractured. He took us to the town. He even took us to the same church where they had prayed for us. So... Um we didn't, didn't script this, so I didn't know she was going to say it. So we'll be praying for unsaved family in the next uh, three weeks as we gather. But I just want you to be attentive to how some of you might have had the joy and the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, uh, and that, that's to be rejoiced in. But others of you have, over the years, found yourself, or even today, just like, how have I ended up here today? And uh, I don't think it's by accidents. And I don't think you, wherever you ended up when you first heard about Jesus was by accident. And whilst this is Jean's story, there's so many threads that are true of God and how he works in our lives. And so just uh, taking moments while we hear the story, just to remember how grateful we are for how God has pursued us or how God pursued generations before us so that we could, um, similar to Jean, none of my family are Christian. I'd, I'm not aware of any Christian heritage and trusting mm. the future like that. So, so you met Jesus. Yes. Um, and how did life oh, change lives, for you? Oh, our lives changed dramatically. The following week, we managed to get my husband to church, and he too, it was Father's Day, and, um, and he too accepted the Lord. The scripture, he wasn't a church man at all. He never went to church. He wasn't interested in things of God, but he went with us, and he was challenged by the scripture uh, from Joshua, uh, whom will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he found Jesus and came to redemption. And my girls will tell you, they grew up on the floor of the church. They, we put the blankets round them, and we went to the prayer meetings, and we went to the youth meetings, and we went to the Sunday morning and Sunday night meetings, and our whole life revolved around what the Christian life. We were so in love with Jesus, and God did the most amazing miracles in our life. Uh, can I share something else? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, 
we went on to be in kind of, we took youth meetings, uh, I did a lot of singing, I did uh, sang all over the place, at different churches and gave a testimony and so forth and God used us and our home life was incredibly wonderful. It was as if God had turned us inside out and upside down and gave us both a brand new beginning and it just grew and grew. But there was one thing that we struggled with. When my husband was in England, um, I have a brother, had a brother that lived in England at the time and he borrowed some money from my husband, a rather a large amount of money, and then unfortunately decided to go bankrupt the following week. So my husband, being the accountant as he was, knew he'd lost all his money and he was furious and he was very angry. So even through the years of our Christian walk, Colin had this bitterness inside of him and he hated anything to do with England. He hated foot soccer, is it soccer? Uh, he, he would just, I was the only one that had a British passport. My children were all South Af naturalized South African citizens. Oh, and by the way, a year after we came to God, uh, God gave us a son. So I have a son in Johannesburg now and God gave us a son, so we now had four children. And so our life went on, but Colin was, he'd pray the loudest in the church, and he was a very uh, faithful man in his walk with the Lord in so many ways. He was a giver, he was faithful in all that, but inside of him was a lot of baggage that he hadn't let go of, and it ate him up. Week after week, it would something would come up when this baggage would come up, this bitterness would about my brother and uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he got very ill, and we didn't know what was wrong, and he was in and out of the hospital. And uh, we were praying that God would heal him. Of course, we did all that. And um, we prayed and prayed, and Colin wasn't taking his illness very well. He kept saying, God knows I can't take this, and... It was a very difficult time. My dear daughter Jenny was out at YWAM doing a year's mission work. Wendy was already married with a little one and I had two children still in school. And um, I had some missionary friends, very, very dear friends. And uh, they, this gentleman went to see Colin and he took a book with him for Colin to read. It was a book by a man called Ernest Gruen and it was called Freedom to Choose. And in this book, it was about forgiveness. It was about letting go and letting God. And Colin, he took the book from him, and the next day he came home from the hospital. I was getting ready to fetch him, but he actually walked into the house, and he threw the book on the table, and he said, I don't know what's going on, but we have to go to England. So we made plans to go to England, and he said he, through the next couple of months, he was very poorly. We never mentioned cancer. We never mentioned it. We just kept praying for healing and all the rest of it. And the week before we left, uh, we decided to, he decided to send a letter to my brother, who he'd never spoken to for all these years since 1967. This is 1980. So uh, it's a long time. So he writes, couldn't write the letter because he was too weak, but I, he dictated it to me. 
And I, he wasn't a very emotional kind of a man, but he even said to me, do you think this letter's a bit soppy? <laughs> but in this letter, he, dis he told my brother why we were coming, that he's coming because he wants to ask his forgiveness for all the bitterness of the past. He's coming because he wants to put his arms around him and love him with the love of the Lord. And he's coming for uh, a time of reconciliation to share with my brother the fact that he wanted to make right and so forth. And this, I mean, the book was obviously a big part of this. Yes, but the I guess book was the, the thing. missionary yes. being obedient yes. to the prompting it of the Holy Spirit. It was all in a plan. It was so beautifully done. And of course, I had so many scriptures that I could quote for you even now about healing and how God was going to heal him. And, uh, you know, we've got the scripture. We're standing on the word and, and this, that, and the other. But I'll tell you something. Those last four and a half months of Colin's life was so beautiful. In all the years we'd had together, that time was so exquisite. He became more and more like Jesus. He'd sit in the bath and start forgiving people that he'd forgotten about as a child. He must have gone through, I don't know how many people he forgave. I don't know how many people God put on his heart that he put right with but he did what God wanted, and he wanted that experience of meeting up with my brother and putting it right. So we planned that. The night before we got on the plane, my missionary friend's wife, an Irish lady, wonderful Irish lady, said to Colin, and she prayed for him, and she said, Colin, I want to say something to you. You have been through your Calvary, my brother, and you're going through your Gethsemane. But when you get to England, you're going to have your resurrection. And so we were waiting for this healing and we managed to get him on the plane under a lot of medication in a wheelchair. Unfortunately, it collapsed on the flight. And so when we got to Heathrow, he ended up in a hospital. Uh, fortunately, my brother got the letter so he was in Yorkshire, so he, he rode all the way to Heathrow to be there when Colin arrived. So they my brother and I went to the Ashford Hospital, and there was my, my husband. And I thought to myself, I'm just waiting for the miracle. I'm waiting for the miracle. God's going to raise him up because look, all the wonderful things he's done. He's made his life right. He's, God is going to heal him. And... Um, so they told me that they were going to make him com comfortable and he had very little time. Uh, but I didn't really take much notice because I was in another place, in another world, looking for another miracle, a different miracle. Anyway, we got to the hospital and the first thing my husband said to me was, I need to see your brother. And I was able to say to him, he's here. And my husband had the wonderful experience of throwing his arms around my brother and making right that anger and bitterness that he'd held all those years. He released it and he made it right with my brother. And then they put him in a private room. Um, so we're just waiting for the miracle now. And it was a rainy day in Ashford and a very drab day and... Um, 
he suddenly sat up and in bed and, and my, my sister was at the bottom of the bed um, and uh, a family around and I, and I was one side and my brother the other. And suddenly Colin sat up and he lifted up his eyes and he looked over my sister and he, he said in a very cocky way, because that's how he would say things, all right, don't all rush to meet me. And he went to be with the Lord. And I just stood there and I thought, oh, no, 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 don't worry. He's, he's going to rise up. He's going to rise up. I, I was in another place. I missed it all, really. My sister at the end of the bed was singing in the spirit, which I knew nothing and, uh, you know, didn't know what was going on. She had been in England and she was backslidden, but there she was. And even in that, you know, God rebuked me, even in that situation, in a very gentle way, but he did. And I looked at my sister and think, how can she do that? You know, she's got this life now. And the Lord said to me, I've been inside of her all the time, just waiting to come out. So I want you to know that if you're feeling cold in your heart, and if you're feeling you've lost it a bit, he's there. He's just waiting to come out. So you, we've all got an opportunity to, to get that relationship back again. Ultimately, they put Colin in a, in a, in a room and I went to, uh, I, I had a, f a bit of an altercation with the nurse who wanted to see to things and I'm waiting for him to rise up and all the rest of it. But they put him in a chapel and I went to see him and the, um, I stood in that chapel and, and it was very tastefully done and he looked so peaceful and so beautiful and I said to the Lord Lord you promised me that you would raise him up you promised me Lord that you would raise him up you did it for Lazarus please do it for Colin then my faith was so stuck on this healing and suddenly over the over that bed a, a banner appeared a, like a big flag You've been through your Calvary. You've been through your Gethsemane. And Colin, you're having your resurrection. And suddenly I got the story. Mm. Suddenly I realized what God had done, that he had raised him up to be with himself. And uh, he did an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And through that uh, that happened, I went back to South Africa the following weekend, wondering where my life was going to go, um, and uh, what, so what, forth. What, how, what date was this? Now? This was 1980, May, May, May the 31st, 1980. And so that was 40-odd years ago. Yes. Um, and just slightly aware of time, because yes. I think we would want to respond, and we're never going to hear the full story. No, not today. today. Um, not You'll have today. to have another episode. But um, we'll have to have another few <laughs> episodes, I think. Um, but I would encourage you, any, particularly if you are consider yourself in any way youngish, although it's not just young, please pursue Jean and those in the church who have walked faithfully with Jesus for many years. It will do your faith a lot of good to do that. And there are some beautiful folks amongst us who have followed Jesus faithfully for many years. And I, I, I know that's not the end of the no. story. And so 
in the last 40 odd years, if you were to take two minutes as best okay. as you can to think, okay. what else would you like to share with us? Okay. Well, it's been quite a journey since then and a lot happened. And unfortunately, because of time, I'm not going to share it. But what I want to, want to say to you is this, that the Lord has been faithful. He's been my constant companion. He's taken me to places I never thought I'd go to. And even though in this last 40 years after Colin, a year after Colin died, I got into a relationship that wasn't of the Lord, even though I thought it was and everybody else did. Uh, through that experience, as I walked in this terrible place, and it was a terrible place for all the years that I was there, God, I want you to know something that if you've been, feel you've been, you missed the mark with God, you actually, he spoke to you and said, you have a check in your spirit about something and you don't do anything about it. That if you make a mistake and go there, I just want to say that even in that, God will use you. And even in my disobedience, that it, and it was, a, it was a trying time, God still picked up my, the, the eagerness I had. I just wanted to serve him and love him. And I knew I had got myself into a difficult place. But you know, God brought me through. And God not only brought me through, but he, he picked up what I had and he used it in that time. So you don't have to be perfect to give something for God. You don't have to be this person that's got 500 sermons to bring and anything. God will use your willing heart if you'll just open your mouth. And as you share your life experience or you share your, uh, your challenges that you go through, he's going to encourage you and be with you through it. He's a God who never leaves us, never forsakes us, and in my 86th year, which I will be in November, I am so excited about Jesus because I have seen him do the most yeah, amazing, wonderful things. He, he is a God that has turned the water into wine for me. He's the God who's healed my children when they were sick. He's a God who's picked me up from the most desperate of places and planted my feet strongly once again in his grace. He's a God who challenges my heart every day. He's a God who wraps himself around me in love every night when I feel lonely. He's a God who is in every second of every moment that we live. And as much as we sit here and we listen to these stories, just know that beside you is the Holy Spirit longing to use every moment of your life. And it's not all pretty. But God can take the mess and he can turn it into a miracle. And that's what God does. And that's what he's doing for me every single day. Wonderful. Uh, told you she would preach. Um, so I think I, thank you. So much, Jean. Uh, and I realize there's so much more to the story. And I would just say yes and amen to, to all of that. I, I think some of the glaring things are uh, your brokenness is not a barrier for God. And when you encounter God and meet Jesus, 
the pain and the heartache and the setbacks do not change that reality. If your faith is based on an intellectual thing or what God can do to make your life well, you'll hit a barrier at some point. And you'll think, is God actually real? But when you meet Jesus and you know your sins are forgiven and your life is radically transformed, even on the outside, in the, on the, in the inside, you will know that you know that you know Jesus. And our heart at the church is to invite you every moment we have together into this vibrant, living relationship with Jesus, regardless of what life throws at us. And so many of these bits of the story are the fruit of people being obedient to what would seem basic prompting of the Holy Spirit. The missionary was prompted to give this book. Look what it led to, forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I would love to pray with us, and then we're going to have communion together. Um, I don't know how this will work. I, maybe Solid, I know you'll be front and center, brother, but I wonder if you could pray some keys for us. Uh, that would be um, beautiful. And so hopefully you've got a communion cup with you. If you haven't, pop your hand up and someone from the hospitality team will bring it to you. We'll just open up. Back to the verse that Jean shared that uh, spoke to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Slightly different wording, but same truth. Come, my vision says, let us settle this. Says the Lord, though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool, wool, white, beautiful wool. So if you are a Christian today, ongoing guilt and shame has no place in your life. Let us settle this today. So whatever you did last night, the days before, the weeks before, whatever you didn't do, that you're carrying it, let us settle this because of Jesus, your sins, though many, can be washed away. And if you're not a Christian, come, let's settle this. Jesus invites you into a life that we've just heard about, that's full of vibrancy and joy and that even the darkest moments of pain cannot take that away from you. And so just in a moment, as you, as you take the wafer, I wonder if you would just in your heart settle something, settle that you will run to God, settle that you will receive His mercy and His washing and His cleansing over you, settle that you will say yes to God. Lord Jesus, we remember your broken body. We remember your Gethsemane. We remember your Calvary, where your blood flowed when it should be ours, and yet washes us clean. We receive forgiveness today. We say yes to you, God. We say yes to the greatest exchange ever just as Jean's story is from brokenness and through brokenness to blessing. Lord, we give you our brokenness in exchange for your fullness and your mercy.
And Lord Jesus, as we, have, we remember your bloodshed, we thank you for this cleansing. Thank you that we are made white as snow. As we cast all our sins and shame and sorrow onto Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Jean, I wonder if you would pray for us just to finish this bit, if that's okay. And then, um, worship team, can we come back to a couple of... Let's just things. have a time of prayer. Father, we're just so grateful this morning that as I've looked off at some of the times in my own life this morning, and I'm sure that we all have thought about things, Lord, your faithfulness comes through to us this morning, and we're so grateful that you are a God who is forever faithful, that you are a God who has a destiny for each one of us, you are a God who has much that you, you would like us to do as your children. And so this morning, as we end this meeting, Lord, as we come to a close of the meeting, may you continue to speak to our hearts. May you continue, O oh God, to inspire us to spend every moment we can in your presence. May we, O oh Lord, be aware of your Holy Spirit giving us uh, guidance, counsel, or whatever he wants to do. Lord, let us keep shorter counsel with you, O oh God. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Father, we just come before you offering you our lives, Lord, offering you all that we have and asking that you would do what you desire in us. We give you permission this morning, Lord, permission this morning, Lord, to invade those private parts of our lives, to invade those moments that just need to be released so that you can have more space within us. Let us not harbor things, O oh God, but offer them to you. And I pray, Lord, that your presence will be with each one, that today might be a new beginning in some small way for each one of us. Thank you for your presence, your love, and thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us, never forsake us, and always be with us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jean, thank you. You've honored Jesus. Let's honor him together as we worship. Shall we stand? We're just going to respond.